It's time to get back to the Matt Wyatt Show. Live in the studio. Howdy, turn your mic on, Matt. I said, howdy, back at you. Minnie, <laughs> Mrs. Pearl, Miss Minnie Pearl. Welcome into hour number two here in the Bureau, the Farm Bureau Insurance Studio. Say it with me. Farm Bureau Insurance. Go! With the home team. Go! S- there you go. Staying connected with you because of C Spire, the number one network in Mississippi. C Spire, customer inspired. If you're just tuning in, we covered some ground there in hour number one. Appreciate the phone calls, y'all. Chris and Lynn and all of the text messages on the country, please, and text line. You know, I, I need to go back and cover this. Jackson Mailman, I mentioned uh, a memory I had of watching a basketball game years ago in the Birmingham Jefferson Civic Center. That's where Jackson State's going to play in the SWAC tournament. And it was in the top, I was sitting in the top row. There were no more seats behind me. I was the last seat in the top of that place as a kid. And uh, Jackson Mailman said, Matt, sitting in the top row is what I call being a ceiling fan. <laughs> That's pretty good. Pretty good. Did you come up with that? <laughs> I was in the ceiling. I was a whole lot closer to the ceiling than I was a floor. promise you that. And anybody who's ever been in the BJCC knows it's like if you were to trip and fall on your way up, you ain't you're gonna roll to the floor. There's it's steep. Really steep. That's the way the pyramid in Memphis was. Same way, huh? Steep. Real steep. Real steep. Mm-hmm. You're afraid to take a step when you're going down. <laughs> yeah, just don't look down. Yeah, hold on to something. <laughs> uh Steven texted the show. He says, I've watched state baseball since the mid eighties, and I'm aggravated too, but this season is not over. You got to win some games in conference play that you're not supposed to, and you're right back where you need to be. This team has tons of talent. One positive was it sure was nice to see Kellum Clark get it going again. Also, the ceiling for Hunter Hines is very high. Has that ball he hit landed yet? Yeah, either one of them. He says, We really need Sims and Simmons to somehow end up being okay. Yeah, Steven, I, you do. You know, it doesn't sound good, didn't look good on Landon Sims. He was pretty tore up about it, even right after it happened back on Friday night. Uh, Stone Simmons a little bit more mysterious, right? Because he finished the inning through nine pitches and goes, whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. I guess three strikeouts, gets in the dugout. We didn't see him again. And turns out he had a little tightness. Or at least that's what Steve Robertson from Scout, I'm sorry, from 24-7 Sports is reporting. And um, <clears throat> we'll see what those results are. Yeah, I, I just think um, when you look at really successful teams in the past, you know, you've had that that one-two punch on the mounds on game ones and game twos. You know, you look last year. I know McLeod didn't have the greatest postseason or the greatest Omaha, but he still was a high draft pick. Really solid starter for you throughout the year on Friday nights as a lefty. And then Bednar coming in there once he got healthy. uh, First rounder and your College World Series MVP throwing on day two. Well, you know, even with Sims, I don't think you had a one-two like that, did you? And now if Sims is out, then what do you have? So pitching becomes a real adventure. Chris called in earlier this year, I mean earlier in this show, and he brought up 2017. That was a year you remember Jake Mangum would come in from center field and pitch. True story. <laughs> um, so you have to manage it. And they're going to hit. I mean, they showed you that in spurts. 
and at bats will build up at this level versus really good pitching. And at some point, you know, they're going to have some times when the lights will come on a little bit. They, they sure will. But there's going to be some ups and downs, too. I mean, Hunter Hines showed you this weekend those two home runs he hit were. I mean, oh, look, the one he hit Sunday is the one that you couldn't even see where it landed <laughs> watching it on television. I mean, it cleared everything, right? Like it's windshield territory out there in a parking lot. But then on Friday night, you know, he had the home run, he had the rip double into the right field corner, and he, he made, he hit the ball so hard that it made it look like he was playing on a softball field. He just made the field look small. The whole thing looked small, the way the ball jumped off his bat. It reminded me of the way it jumped off Kellum Clark's bat last year. And Clark got going, hit some balls really hard. Uh, had two hits, I guess, and a home run back on Friday night. Um, Land, uh, Logan Tanner got going this weekend, right? Really hit the ball well. Had a grand slam home run on Saturday and – I guess he had another – did he have another home run on Friday? But anyway, he really got going to the point they started just walking him. By the time he got to yesterday's game, they were just walking him. And so what you really need is for Cam James to get hot. He's not there yet. He left some guys on base. And they're still trying to figure out second base, shortstop. You see what I mean? I mean, here you are 12 games in and you're playing two different guys at short. And, and so there's just – they got all these question marks and there's just going to be some ups and downs. But you, some of those ups are going to look good because Hunter Hines is going to hit some moonshots every now and then. Boy, and he does not get cheated either when he swings, does he? It's just this is a year where you, don't, you, you came into it not really sure, and as it turns out, especially with an injury or two, you just don't have all the pl- pieces in every little spot in place, plugged in, let's go start the season. Now, it ain't that kind of year. This is going to be a... Uh, grow up, fight, scratch and claw, come home every you know, Sunday night bloody and just hoping you got your nose above water and get ready for the next week. That's going to be the kind of year it is uh, for State. This is what it looks like. You know, we'll see. Now, as soon as we say that, now they're going to go on a run and beat everybody 10 to nothing for the next month. You know, <laughs> stranger things, but I don't think so. I think it's going to be a grind for them. And then hopefully, you know, just like everybody, the whole deal is getting the postseason, play your best then. That's what it is all about. Speaking of, too, Southern Miss is hot as a firecracker. They whipped Mississippi State back on Wednesday at Trustmark in that midweek game, 7-1. to one. They lost the opener on the weekend on Friday at Louisiana Lafayette, Raging Cajuns down in Lafayette, 5-3, to three, good ball game, and then Back ended the series. Southern Miss won on Saturday, five to nothing. Won again yesterday, four to two. Uh, Southern Miss is sitting there at eight and three now on the year. This is going to be a fun midweek for them. They have two midweek home games tomorrow night. They host South Alabama, a good baseball team, and then on Wednesday night host Tulane, another good baseball team. It's going to be a really fun midweek in Hattiesburg, and then Southern Miss will hit the road this weekend. And go to Dallas Baptist. Let's see what else they have. Later in March, they will host Alabama midweek non-con and then jump into conference play. They will host Florida Atlantic. 
uh, on March the 18th, 19th, 20th. That'll be the opener for conference play for Southern Miss. Back to three-game conference series this year like normal. So after that convoluted stuff that Conference USA did last year. So that's Southern Miss. And Next Gen Rev, he tweeted me a uh, link this past weekend, and everybody's starting to kind of see what we see all the time, and that is nobody anywhere in the country supports college baseball better than the state of Mississippi collectively. It was an article I was pointing that out, what you get in games in Oxford and weekends in Starkville, and you can get 5,000 people per ball game to show up to Pete Taylor Park in Hattiesburg, and we're all doing that in a state with total population less than 3 million people. It's pretty doggone incredible. Hey, uh, today was an anniversary or is an anniversary, Bill, for one of our favorite TV shows. On this day in 1986, final episode of Different Strokes aired. Now the world don't move to the beat of just one drum. What might be right for you? Yeah, and my daughter knows every word to this theme song, too, now. It's kind of like the Golden Girls. She knows it all. Yeah, Willis, Arnold, Kimberly, and then I can't think of the dad's name on the show. Drummond, Mr. Drummond. Drummond. And, you know, we learned something, too, about the housekeeper on the show. Is the first one became Miss Garrett on Facts of Life. Yep. Remember that? Yeah, so when the show started, you remember the redheaded lady that was like that? In fact, I think she took the job while she was working for Mr. Drummond. She decided to leave and take that job. Yeah, that's it. And then in came the new housekeeper or whatever. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she So she kind of stepped up in terms of her role. And Facts of Life that she moved over to was a huge show back oh, then. Oh, man. It was a big deal. Okay, there it is. A little trip down memory lane. <laughs> Speaking of memory lane, y'all remember when we were talking about potential rules changes upcoming in college football as it pertained to faking injuries? Remember that whole deal? Bill, I don't know how you feel about it. I just don't like faking injuries. But then when you really do get hurt, people say, he's crying wolf. Yeah, that's right. Cry, you're crying wolf. Well, and see, the thing that is, like, it's hard also to disagree with what Mike Leach said when we interviewed him here on the show over there in Starville. And he goes, thing about it is, like, if they're going to let everybody else do it, you just you can't just sit there and say, oh, well, I'm not going to do it if it gives you an advantage and let them have the advantage. You know? Okay. Well, see, I, I step up and stop it. <laughs> you know? I, right. I get where he's coming from. I will say, I, I would hope that they wouldn't do it. I do think it's an integrity thing. At the same time, I can totally understand a coach going, well, listen, the other guys are doing it, using it, and getting an advantage. You know, we at least have to be prepared to do it. Well, let's see what we're going to read here. Some stuff coming out of meetings that happened with the Playing Rules Oversight Panel. According to ESPN, a proposed rule change would allow conferences to appeal targeting fouls. Let's start with targeting. Would allow conferences to appeal targeting fouls 
that were called in the second half of games in order to avoid the carryover penalty of sitting out the first half of the next game. All right. They were meeting last week. Okay, by the way. They also proposed, here it is, a reporting and investigation process to address teams that are awarded an injury timeout when a player is believed to have faked an injury. Okay, and the oversight panel will approve rules changes on April the 20th when they have a meeting. So we're more than a month away from the actual... Are they going to, you know, approve it or not? So, all right, you got targeting, you got faking injuries. Let's see... What Steve Shaw, the NCAA's national coordinator of officials, said about this. He used to be the SEC head of officials. He said, if it's obvious the player was incorrectly penalized, the call would be overturned and the player would be cleared for the first half of the next game. Now, again, if it's obvious that some player got a targeting foul in the second half of a game, they can appeal it, review it, and may decide, no, he shouldn't have gotten that. He gets, he gets to play. It was a bad call. But again, you know, like who's going – my question is who's going to review it? Well, it's most likely going to be another group of officials <laughs> or former officials, and they kind of take care of each other. You know, they just, they're just trying to get it right. But I'm saying, you know, it's hard for them to just say, oh, yeah, those are my colleagues, and boy, they blew it. It's hard for them to do that. Here's the quote from Steve Shaw. This is targeting we're talking about possibly reviewing it, and you don't have to miss the first half and all this. Quote, if the past year is an indicator, it'll only be a handful of calls. But even if it's only a handful, if that's a student-athlete having to sit out a game on a situation where there was an error, we should correct that if we can. Now, I will say this. I'm not at all going to nitpick this one because I like the idea that since it is one week to the next, we're, they're not reviewing anything during the game. You know, you're going to have an official review during the game when you have a targeting call. Um, should, right? Well, anyway, but it's from one week to the next. It, the targeting call happened in the second half of this game. The next game is not till seven more days or five if it's on a Thursday. You got plenty of time to then sit down and review. Let's just make sure that we're not erroneously making this kid sit out the first half of next week when it turns out they shouldn't have called targeting. There's nothing wrong with that. I, I'm okay with it. Doesn't slow any games down. Do it during the week. Totally fine with it. And every targeting in a football game it already is reviewed by replay. Right? The officials have to either confirm it or overturn it. And that's a, I don't know if y'all realize that, but that's different than other reviews. You know, when like somebody fumbled a ball and did he fumble or not, the call on the field was that he did, and we go back and we review it, and there's three types of announcements after they review it, right? The official stands there and goes, after further review, then he goes either A, the ruling on the field is reversed, and he tells you why. Or he goes, after further review, B, the ruling on the field 
stands as called. Or C, the ruling on the field is confirmed. You either overturn it, it stands, or you confirm it. Confirming the call means we saw it on video, we got it exactly right. Overturn it is, we saw it on video, we got it wrong. But if the call stands, that means we watched the video, we couldn't tell one way or the other. We're just going to go with what we call. Well, they don't do that in targeting. Every targeting, when they review it, which they do by replay, and they either confirm it or overturn it. There's no such thing as the call stands on the field. So, fine with it. Do it during the week. There you go. Then Steve Shaw, the National Coordinator of Football Officials, said that the Rules Committee actually spent more time talking about players faking injuries than any other issue in the game to this point. <laughs> the way it is right now, you know, injury timeout, the player that's involved with the injury has to go a sit out <clears throat> for one play. Come right back in. Get a free timeout. Come right back in after one play. So they are looking at several solutions. Now, try these on for size. See what you think. No, we've discussed it before, but they have actually now had a meeting and decided this is what they're looking at. Going to vote on putting it in in April. Several in-game solutions, including... Lengthening the amount of time the injured player has to miss. The problem is, according to the people in the meeting, they couldn't come up with exactly how long that should be. <laughs> Instead, they are proposing a rule that would give the school or the conference the ability to contact Steve Shaw to facilitate a video review. Any penalties levied would be up to the conference office or the school involved. Now, that to me is weird. That's weird right there. Stanford's head coach, David Shaw, said, I'd love to see there be several, I'm sorry, I'd love to see there be severe penalties towards individuals that coach unethical things. In the game, what's that sound like? David Shaw said, and this is unethical. And there have been severe penalties levied on individual coaches in the past. I would love to see that ratcheted up. That's David Shaw, head coach Stanford, basically saying what we said here on the show. It is an integrity issue. It's David Shaw at Stanford saying, I will not coach players on my team to fake injuries for any reason. I will not tell them to take a dive. Well, coach, it may help you win. I do not care. Man, I respect David Shaw for that. Man, I respect him for that. Ratchet it up. Penalize the coaches. David Shaw is saying this. If the only way 
you're going to penalize teams, players, and coaches, teams, for faking injuries is by yards on the field, you know, yards on the field, or even let's just say like you're going to find the coach lightly. He's saying, guess what? They're still going to do it. It's kind of like I said when the whole targeting thing got started years ago. You know, you're telling me you have an issue with this. All right, we'll prove it. You're saying you have an issue. Steve Shaw, one of the nicest guys on the planet, a pro's pro. I've met him a few times, and that's what I honestly think about him. But I would say that to Steve Shaw, to David Shaw, the coach at Stanford, to Greg Sankey, the commissioner of the SEC, to every other commissioner, to every other coach. You're telling me that this is important to you. You're saying, not me, you're saying it was a problem last year. That's an integrity issue for the game. You're telling me you spent more time talking about this issue, faking injuries, than any of the others. Well, you know what? You're telling me you want to do something about it. Okay, prove it. You got a problem with it? Prove you have a problem with it. Here's an idea. Err on the side of penalizing people to dust for doing it. You could always walk it back. Hey, going into 2023, you might say, you know what? Our penalties last year for faking injuries were really stiff. We're going to back that off a little bit. But don't go light and at the same time out of this other side of your mouth tell me that it matters to you. Go severe or go home. (laughs) Because that's the only way you're going to prove to me that you really do care that it's happening. I'm Matt in the Farm Bureau Insurance Studio. Stick around. At this time, we are proudly required to present present more of the Matt Wyatt Show. We have another totally awesome episode for you today. All right, back. Here we go. Rolling along with you, this is our two. In the Bureau, the Farm Bureau Insurance Studio. I'm Matt. Y'all text me on the Country Pleasing text line. It's 885-ESPN. Country Pleasing Sausage. You can get it in grocery stores all over the place. Walk up in there and say, Country Pleasing, please. Now, I get mine at Walmart a lot. I need to make a trip down to Country Meat Packers, Highway 49, Florence, real soon. Uh, Over the weekend, I opened a new package of jalapeno and cheddar and a package of green onion-flavored sausage. And I will admit I ate some of that for lunch. True story. Now, on the Country Pleasing text line, Roshana texts me and says that the number one men's basketball player in the state of Mississippi is Iverson Molinar from Mississippi State. He is the 2022 recipient of the Howell Trophy given out to the state's best men's college basketball player. So hats off to Iverson Molinar. Certainly very deserving as compared to the other individuals here in the state. And Roshana, thank you for listening and sending that along on the country, please, and text line. In regards to faking injuries, Tyler texted the show and said... There should be a three-play evaluation period for injuries. It would eliminate most of the fake ones. 
Actually, attempting to levy punishment for perception of seriousness of injury can result in unsafe playing conditions if a player is afraid to seek help for injury slash cramps. Deter the behavior, not punishment. That not punish it. That's according to Tyler. You you absolutely do run into. That's what we were talking about when we brought it up. You know, a few weeks ago when we saw that they were actually going to discuss this and what they ought to do about it. Tyler, is the faking injuries. You cannot ask officials at the game, on the field, in the booth. You cannot ask those officials to be the ones determining whether an injury is real or not. It's just no way to do it. And because of that, you've always had a gentleman's agreement. You've always had a certain level of integrity that people were just not going to go below. I'm talking about coaches. Coaching staffs. I'm telling you right now, I was on a team for five years with Jackie Sherrill as the head coach. Not one time ever, ever, ever was it even brought up for a player to take a dive and pretend to be injured. It's just, it wasn't discussed. It's not something that has ever been a part of the game. And even the, even from from the most (laughs) successful, highly thought of, coach the most pristine reputation just a prince of a man right down to the scoundrels in the coaching business in college football still none of them would go below that line the way a bunch of coaches have over the last couple of years in college football just call it like it is it's a line of integrity that these coaches these days are willing to go below and i guess it's because we're paying them six million dollars a year now instead of six hundred thousand maybe that's it But you cannot ask the officials on the field to be the ones to decide it. They can't do it. It's impossible for them to decide, oh, that's a real injury right there. Well, how do you know? Well, the bone's sticking out for one thing. No. no. That's a fake injury over there. How do you know? Well, the bone's not sticking out. See, I mean, it's just stupid. It is basically a handful of coaches that last year in particular – a handful of coaches that were willing to just basically completely pull the rug out from under the entire game of football for their own benefit. That's exactly what it was. And now you got an issue, and it's going to run rampant. It began to run rampant last year. It slowed the games down, made them longer. That's an issue. It ticked all the fans off. That's an issue. So you got to do something. Okay, and Tyler says a three-play evaluation period. You're injured. You're not out one play. You're out three. A little harder to enforce, but still okay. Right, because if I'm a player, I don't want to miss three plays. I better be really hurt to be going out of the game. Same thing for the coach. You don't want him to miss three plays, right? Is three plays worth a timeout? You're trying to deter the behavior and not necessarily punish it. But I disagree, Tyler. There's got to be punishment. If a coach is brazen enough to even give players signals on the field, you have to punish the coach. And for any of the leaders in college football, coordinator officials, conference commissioner, coaches and ADs, anybody like that that says, this is a problem, got to do something. Well, you know what? Prove it. If you really think it's a problem, prove it. Go harsh, you can always back it off. 
Go harsh. The level of discipline you inject into something is directly proportional to how much you give a flip. So prove it. Stop talking. Prove it. Jackson Mailman says, for an injury, I think the player should have to sit out for the entirety of the current drive in which the injury occurs. And see, Mailman, here's the thing about that. Lots of legitimate, totally above-board situations where a guy gets cramps, especially in the early season. You know, and you might even need to get attended to. You might need to get some fluids on the sideline and wolf down a banana. So you can get back on the field and make that goal line stop. Yeah, and look, finding coach, you can't find coaches, you know, I mean, and there's always going to be signals. There can be verbal ones, you know, stuff like that. I mean, you can, finding them doesn't work. But if what I guess what I'm saying is when I say prove it, I read what Steve Shaw said. He goes, they're coming out of this, and what they're proposing is a an appeals process where they can go back and and review and basically investigate if they think there were a bunch of fake injuries. They can investigate it during the week. Okay. Well, if you're going to go to that trouble, then put, put a pretty stiff penalty. You know, if you're willing to tell players, all right, if you're willing to tell players that, commit an unintentional targeting in the second half of a game that that player is going to have to sit out the first half the next week and it was an unintentional targeting you're telling me that a coach who intentionally has players taking dives faking injuries any coach in any conference that you wouldn't make him sit out the following week if you investigate it and find that to be true? I mean, you're making players sit out for stuff they didn't even mean to do. All right, let's head over to the phone line, Divinity Equipment phone. Brandon on line one. What's up, Brandon? Hey, man, how are you, buddy? Just right. Hey, look, my thing on this is when when you start the second half, you have three timeouts. Mm-hmm. Well, if in your mind you're one of these shady coaches, you can almost say, you know what, I can afford to use two or three timeouts before the two minutes left in the game yeah. because I can fake an injury and get – it's almost three – as many times you want to fake an injury, those are extra timeouts for you. Right. So you can think in your mind and with your coaching staff and you can say, look, we got five to six timeouts in this game if we can do this. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Well, it's it's um you're exactly right. You know, if you're willing to do it. And that's why I like what Steve Shaw said, Brandon. Steve Shaw basically said, you know, in in the in a roundabout way, he basically said, "We're not doing it at Stanford. I don't care. Maybe it does give us an advantage, but we're not doing it." You know, well, and and getting back to the the extra timeouts they think they have with the injuries if if you put some type of stipulation or some type of uh, you know where they got to sit out or whatever, they're they're gonna really uh, it's gonna be a hard check to call that at the end of the game. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, it is. And I, I had never seen it last year. Like it, last year was awful. It was I had awful. seen it yeah. a couple of years leading up to it, and then it was like, then it was like everybody was on board. Well, and I tell you, maybe not everybody's like me, but Brandon, what there were some games I was watching last year on TV, and that stuff started where both teams were trying to go like competing, see who could do the most fake injuries, Injury. and yeah, I it. I was just like, I just turned the game off and left or watched well, something else. I'm, I'm not Ole watching Miss that. Fan. I'm an Ole Miss fan, and at Tennessee, we did it a couple of times. They did it a couple of times, and it just got to where it was just, it was just messy. Yeah. It was just messy, and it, it's it, it's unethical. And but anyway, I'll let you go. Love your show, man. Appreciate it, Brandon. Yeah, it, and it's a it's a tough thing. I understand. I can. With my feet on the ground, I can really understand why they would come out of this meeting, coordinator officials going, okay, the first step we're going to do is look at some, potentially some deal that would allow people to ask us to look into it during the week after it happened, rather than we're just going to go flamethrower here and we're going to, you know, we're going to throw people out of games and we're going to make players sit out for 12 plays, you know, I I can understand why they would want to maybe start by looking at it during the week. My problem is, I just don't know how you're going to pinpoint. If, if coaches are willing to do something underhanded, they're going to figure out a way around it. So, therefore, the penalties you stick on it have to be really severe. Because, like you say, Tyler, you're trying to deter it. That's why they get paid the big bucks to figure it out. I just get paid to pointed out I guess <laughs> I'm Matt stick around it's back to the Matt Wyatt show alright back with you here getting all set to wrap it up it's March the 7th and today it is apparently National Cereal Day like what's your favorite cereal milk and cereal that kind of thing breakfast cereal National Cereal Day I put out a top four. This is an all-time for me. Now, I don't still eat these because I'm a grown-up now, but this would be for, like, the entirety of my life, a top four. Cinnamon Toast Crunch, Sugar Smacks, now known as Honey Smacks because sugar somehow became a PC bad word, Honeycomb and Cocoa Pebbles, and, Bill, you told me earlier that Peanut Butter Cap'n Crunch should be on the list, and somebody on Twitter named Dog on the Bayou tweeted me a picture and said, you forgot this one. And it is Peanut Butter Cap'n Crunch. And I'm looking at the thing, and I realize, according to the box, Bill, you may be able to confirm this, Captain Crunch Peanut Butter, the pieces of the cereal are round. Yeah. Whereas the regular Captain Crunch has a different shape to kind it. Of a square, kind of a rectangular or square. Yeah. Does anybody know what that shape is supposed to be of those bits of cereal in the original Captain Crunch. Hmm. You might know. Reasoning, what's supposed to be, your guess is as good as mine. Have you talked about your least favorite cereal? Probably, uh, well, when I was a kid, it used to be grape nuts. Hmm. Because I don't like Wheaties. You don't like Wheaties? I'm a big mm-hmm. fan of Wheaties. Oh, man. You know what I love that's not on the list, and I still love it to this day, and I've always loved it? Frosted mini wheats. Oh, yeah. Yeah, those are good. Ooh, Anything boy. frosted. 
I'd go to town on some frosted mini wheats now. I don't like the plain mini wheat things you get, but the frosted. not a fan of the plain ones. No, very messy, very messy yeah, cereal. They, 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 you know, I'd have to say, spray everywhere. Quite honestly, my least favorite is going to be corn flakes. Yeah, I got no use for them. Unless you're putting in one of those peanut butter bricks at the gas station. Or putting bananas in them or something. <laughs> I do like Rice Krispies, too. <laughs> yeah, I like the rice. A little snap, crackle, and pop never hurt anybody. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, grape nuts. When I was a kid, two reasons. One, I tried some, and I almost broke my teeth trying to eat it. Were and, you wondering where the grapes were? And two, <laughs> yeah, they put the commercials <laughs> on television constantly. Yeah. I'm like, man, it's Saturday morning. I'm nine years old. Why are you showing me grape nuts? They gotta be good. Somebody's eating that. Put Pee Wee back on. (laughs) Okay, enough of that. Hey, uh, I guarantee you remember this TV show, Bill. The Rifleman. Chuck Connors. (laughs) Starring Chuck Connors. Yes, on this day, 1961, the 100th episode of The Rifleman aired. Now, my question for you, Bill, can you picture in your head the video that that intro was? Mm-hmm. You know, you heard it there, but it was a video. Yeah, he's out in the middle of the street, and he's got that gun that's got that special kind of lever on it that fires uh-huh. as you. Yeah, it was it a 30. As you pull the, as you add the next shell, it starts firing. That old 30-30? Yeah. Lever modif- action? They modified it with a lever action on it that fires it automatically. Well, here's the thing. You go back and watch the intro to The Rifleman, that was actually Chuck Connors doing the shooting. Yeah, it was. It was not yeah. an, like a stunt double. And then he spun it there at the end. He did oh, it. Oh, man. Yeah. Because it was a single shot, no edits, no cuts, that started in tight on the hand on the rifle as he's walking down the street going... Just, I'm talking about running that lever back and forth, bang, 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 bang. And when he stops, the camera pans out and up, and it's Chuck Connors been doing it the whole time. Yeah, and he spins that gun up. And he, yeah, look, yeah. you know how like the old gunslingers would take the pistol yeah. and twirl it around their finger? Chuck Connors holster, yeah. twirled the rifle around and, his hand. And as he, as he was twirling it, cocked it again for the next shot. He was, he did it. He was oh, ready man. to shoot again. He was ready. Tell you what, <laughs> he's a big man. The rifleman and sugar smacks. Why did they stop yeah. calling it sugar smacks? Because of sugar, people don't want sugar anymore. Hey, all right, let me tell you something. Behind, let me give you a behind the scenes, Bill. <laughs> so, <laughs> let me give you a behind the scenes, right? So earlier today, Annabeth says to me, "I'm getting ready to go to the studio." She says to me, "What are you going to talk about?" And I was like, ah, I don't know, same old stuff, you know, baseball. I love, love baseball. But I was a little down, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, she just happened to walk by the door just now and heard me say, it doesn't get any better than the Rifleman and Sugar Smacks. Why did they stop calling it Sugar Smacks? And when she heard that, she started laughing at me. <laughs> she thinks I've been up here talking about Sugar Smacks for two hours. Yeah. I mean, seriously, people, <laughs> they honestly thought they were going to sell more cereal by changing the name to Honey Smacks instead of Sugar Smacks. Give me a break. Mm. Yeah, I was just thinking it would be a good Western show. The Rifleman and Matt Dillon together. 
Oh boy. Had you had them both like on the same show? Both out on the street shooting at people. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Big old tall guys. Those were big men. See? Squirrels, right? Mm-hmm. December the 10th birthdays like Sugar Snacks, Sugar Smacks, and the Rifleman. Yes, what I'm talking about. And why is there a frog? What's this frog have to do with anything? What's the frog got to do with honey? (laughs) I don't even care. I know the bee is for the, you know, the the honey, honey nuts. Hey, in December, I'm turning 46. And for my birthday, I want everybody to leave me alone. Give me a box of sugar smacks and turn on the rifleman. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) And just get out of the way. What a great intro, though. Y'all need, hey, seriously, you, y'all gunslingers out there, people who y'all are into guns and you go out shooting for fun and stuff. If you haven't watched this intro to The Rifleman, look it up on YouTube. You'll see what I'm talking about. The Rifleman. (laughs) Here he goes. Starring Chuck Connors. Yeah, he's got that little grin on his face. I'm telling you, man. Um, And by the way, I hope that anybody listening in downtown Jackson had with the radio on, I I hope y'all didn't see anybody duck because it's just a sound effect. <laughs> yeah, is all it is. Yeah, we used to get in trouble playing sirens on the air sometimes. <laughs> right. The SEC kind of got. Hey, you guys don't need to be playing. <laughs> right, I can understand. Uh, Nails had a solution on the faking injury deal. He said, don't let coaches talk to players during uh, any injury timeouts except the injured player. Make coaches stay on the sidelines, players stay on the field. Yeah, don't have a huddle up. I I would agree with that. PT for MSU texted the show, and he said Chuck Connors played both professional baseball and basketball. Yeah, he had good hands. To do what he was doing with a rifle, you, you had to be somewhat sort of an athlete for sure. Hey, let's talk to Judy before we're done today. She's hanging on line one of the Divinity phone. Hey, Judy, what's up? Hey, Matt. Did I hear you say you don't like Tony the Tiger Frosted Flakes? No, I like Frosted Flakes. I don't like Corn Flakes. I got no use for Corn Flakes unless okay. people are putting them in. You know how they make those peanut butter bricks and and wrap it in? No. Yeah, yeah well, just trust me. It's really good. Anyway, that... It's, uh, well, I'm, I'm sure it is. <laughs> I'm cool. sure it is. No, I'm okay um, with uh, and, sugar sugar flakes, whatever you call them. Yeah. What about on the, the TV show, Sky King hmm? and his niece Penny? Oh, I remember King it. The yeah, I remember it from the Sky the ranch. ranch. From the Sky Ranch? Yeah. 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 One of my favorite shows. Matt's probably a little too young for that. What's the name of that show, though, Bill? Sky King. Sky King? Okay. He was a rancher that flew a plane, and it was his, called Sky Ranch. Okay. He flew around in this plane a lot, yeah. Sky King. You have to look it up. I'm it, gonna, was a good, it was a good show. It was a really good show. I'm really into old shows right now. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's hey. another good one that you probably hey. like to watch. Okay. Hey. Don't, don't, don't talk about old <laughs> stuff. <laughs> that's not what I meant. Uh, retro. There you that. go. Uh, classic. There vintage. I'm really into vintage shows. Uh, vintage. <laughs> Yes, sir. That sounds better. Thank hey, you. Y'all thank have a you. good week. You too, Judy. I'm kind of a vintage kind of thing. Yeah, I'm yeah. Sky vintage. King was a really good show. It was another one of those that was on. You know, let's see here, Bill. There was a couple more. Um, I don't have the sound, but on this day in 1975, the final episode of The Odd Couple oh, aired yeah. on ABC. That was in 75. How about this? 
This day, March the 7th, 1982, the NCAA Basketball Tournament Selection Show was televised for the first time. 1982. And here's another one for you. The following year, on March the 7th, 1983, now listen closely or it could confuse you, ESPN televised the first live professional football game on cable. Not network, ABC, NBC, on cable. This day, 1983, ESPN aired a game between the USFL's Birmingham Stallions and the Michigan Panthers. There's some trivia for you someday, folks. First, now they're back. And now the USFL's back. But the first televised football game on cable was a USFL game back in 1983. Birmingham versus Michigan. And that, as they say, is the rest of the story. Stole that line. Sure did. Thanks for all your texts, your calls. Bill, I appreciate you, as always. You too, sir. Have a great night for Bill. I'm Matt and everybody here on the show in the Farm Bureau Insurance Studio. We'll see you tomorrow.